Are your best friends simply smelly like you? Why you can't be faster than a fly? Police influencers? Maybe. And Hungry Ghost Month tips. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be one of those weirdo ones that we cover all kinds of freaky stuff from all different directions. Nothing heavy tonight, much. But yeah, we're going to be doing all of that uh, tonight and more uh, coming up on our show. And uh, of course, also at the end of the show, we will be reading, uh, continuing to read a chapter, The the Missing Thumb, uh, Sherlock Holmes' latest adventure. And we'll have that for you coming up. At the end of the stream, uh, right now we will do what we always do when we first kick things off, and that's this little lady. Where is she? Where'd her intro go? It's got to be here somewhere. Is there something wrong with my intro? What happened? I've got cam two. I've got cam one. And there she is. Miko update. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what happened. It just finally caught up for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, Oops. Okay, hold on. Now, boy, I'm telling you, if things could be more screwed up, I'm not sure how. But we're going to try and get through this. So hang on. Bear with me. Let's see if this works. It did. Okay. uh, Yes, this is a Miko update. But before we get to that, I wanted to plug Rizzo Van Van Giesel's uh, Hush, Hush, Hush. Uh, He's doing a show. It's coming up. Tomorrow, August 9th, 8.30 p.m., uh, and uh, all the details are on my personal Facebook page. So please check it out, and more importantly, go and support uh, Rizal because he deserves it, and he's a very funny guy, and he is being woefully abused uh, right now, and uh, I hope that you can do all you can to uh, help to support uh, Rizal. All right. Hey, check this out. Look at this video here. This is really cool. Hold on. I got to mute it. Okay. Uh, These are the doggies from the big event we went to this weekend on Saturday. Look at all these Shiba Inus. They are everywhere. And in fact, Miko is in there somewhere, but it all moves by so fast. It's hard to tell. Some of them look like Miko. Uh, We were in this giant group photo here. Uh, Yeah, look at that. All of these Shiba Inus were gathered at Dessa Park City on uh, Saturday. It was a crazy, crazy day. And uh, here you go. There's, uh, there's some of the, here's some of the pictures from the event. This is the whole group of us. Uh, we are over here somewhere. <laughs> it's hard to see because <laughs> everybody's so small. But uh, yeah, it was amazing. There's Miko and one of her friends. Uh, hanging out. They actually kind of look quite a bit alike. Uh, There's the little lady having a great time. She was feeling a little under the weather on Saturday, so we debated whether to go or not, but I'm really glad we did because she had the best time. This little semi-white Shiba Inu was so lovely and adorable. Absolutely cute. By the way, if you're listening on the podcast, please go to our, uh, our, 
our video feed, which is on rumble.com or YouTube or Facebook or twitch.tv. And you can see all these pictures. They are there. Uh, and wow, this, <laughs> uh, there we are. It's very cool. All the pictures of everybody. Here's another, another Miko friend. It was just a fantastic time. It was absolutely uh, incredible. And over, was it, was it? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's us when we're taking the big main shot. Uh, so you can, yeah, there we go. Okay. It was a great time. Everybody had a ball. I want to say there were 80 over Shiba Inus there. Not all the Shiba Inus in Malaysia, but probably a good percentage of them. I am amazed how many Shiba Inus there were. It was great. It really was. Fantastic time everybody had. And thanks to everybody who, uh, who organized it. It was amazing. Mm. And by the way, that's a big part of why I wasn't here Saturday night. We didn't get back until late. I had, it was a long day. And so I just, I, I couldn't put the show together in time. But we're back. So there you go. All right. Now, on to our main, one of our main stories tonight. Do we like our friends because they stink like we do? Hmm? Interesting. When it comes to vetting people for friendship, apparently body odor seems to be a decisive factor. Now, when you say that, of course, you instantly think about people who smell bad. Everyone has a smell, even if you think you don't smell. As people say, even if you think your farts don't smell. Everyone has a smell. Good or bad, we smell. Click friendships form instantly, but until now, no one has known really how humans determine whether or not they've clicked with somebody. Well, a team of scientists found that friends click that have very similar body odor profiles. Not something you would have thought about, but apparently it's true. Suggests if someone smells similar to us, we instantly tell they are friendship material. Uh, following the discovery, science found they could predict whether strangers would click when they first met with a 71% accuracy. That is very high. Sometimes two people just click. Strong sense of bonding forms instantly. You may have had that in your life where you suddenly you meet someone and you just hit it off, as they say. You click. Uh, for love, this phenomenon is said to occur at first sight. Friendships, however, relies on an entirely different stimulus. Body odor. This has nothing to do with love. This has to do with friendship, they are two very distinct things, uh, according to a recent study published in Science Advances. Um, when two people are similar, they're more likely to develop a strong friendship over time. Some of the similarities we look for are relatively simple, like age, education, personality, values, uh, neural activity, genetic makeup. One would assume that these similarities also play a role in forming Click friendships, and that simply means that when you meet someone first off, you click, a term which essentially means friendship at first sight. Again, friendship, not love. On meeting a new potential friend, we look no further than the grandmasters of friendship, dogs. Most dogs skip the small, star, uh, small talk and get straight to business. 
deploying the only sensory organ that is directly wired into the emo sensor uh, center of the brain, the nose. Moments after meeting a stranger, a dog will have either gained a new best friend or a worst enemy. And furthermore, dogs aren't the only ones who prefer olfactory communications. That's this thing, the big nose, the schnoz. Um, it is the preferred mode of communication for most mammals. And a graduate student at Weissman Institute uh, hypothesized that even humans use smell. But what they did was they found a uh, 20 pairs of same-sex, non-romantic click friends, 10 male, 10 female, with an average age of 25 and an average friendship duration of about six years. They then donated their body odor using a very strict donation protocol, and they were provided with non-perfumed soap to shower with each evening, instructed to avoid other cosmetics that might have fragrance in them, uh, deodorant, perfume, etc., and provided with a cotton t-shirt to be worn after they showered for at least six hours for two consecutive nights. So then they took these t-shirts, take a look at this, they took these t-shirts and they put them in, in a jar, hooked up to a hose, hooked up to a machine, which detects these body odors that are on the shirt from the person. If click friendship develops in similarly odored people, and the e-nose, that's what this machine is, it's an e-nose, can uh, identify which people have similar body odors or chemical profiles, then theoretically they can use the e-nose to predict whether or not strangers would be friends. The e-nose, to test this, 17 strangers got their body odors, the strangers played the mirror game. Two strangers stood facing each other about 20 inches apart, each in complete silence for two minutes, and tried to mirror each other's hand motions. After the game was completed, they took part in uh, a survey as to whether or not they felt they clicked with their partner or not. 22 of the participants reported a mutual click. Subsequent analysis by the e-nose machine revealed that these people smelled more similar to the person they mutually clicked with than the other participants, up to 71% accuracy. If their findings are confirmed in future studies, we may have the technology to make friends beyond just sex robots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it matters what you smell like. So make sure you smell good, okay? Apparently it's important, at least when it comes to friendship. <laughs> Strangest things. Anyway, the link to the whole article is in our show notes, as is all the stuff we talk about tonight. So you can check it out, read the article yourself, and find out more information about it, if you are so inclined. All right, what else we got? Oh, <laughs> flies. Yes, flies. Common, ordinary pain in the ass, house flies. You know you're not fast enough to swat a fly? You're not. And now we know why. Strangely enough, flies are obviously in no way smart. But the reason they are so difficult to swat is that they experience time in an almost matrix-like fashion. 
This is the weirdest thing I know. It's fly swatting. But it's the freakiest thing. I had to share it with you guys. Read the whole article in our show notes. We're going to talk about it just briefly. What flies lack for in intelligence, they make up for in agility. The reason flies almost always outmaneuver swats from humans has to do with the speed at which insects see the world. This measurement is called flicker fusion frequency. Flies are, without a doubt, pretty stupid. Uh, They have puny brains. They buzz into deadly bug zapper lights one after another. You'd think they would be easy to swat. But no, the fly almost always outmaneuvers your attack and escapes, living to see another one of its 28 days of life. Because to a fly, you appear to be moving in slow motion. This is the coolest. I never knew this, and it's fascinating. Maybe you don't think so, but I do. Actually, from the fly's perspective, you are quite literally moving in slow motion because every species experiences time differently. Why? Differences in sight. All animals, including humans, see the world in what is essentially a seamless movie. What's really happening, however, is that the brain is taking individual images sent from the eye at a fixed rate per second with distinct flashes and pieces them together. The rate that this occurs is called flicker fusion frequency, which is measured by determining how rapidly a light needs to be switched on and off before it appears to an animal, or you and me, as a continuous stream. Scientists measure this in insects by hooking up tiny glass electrodes to the photoreceptors of the eyes and flashing light at increasingly faster speeds, all while a computer graphs the signals sent from the photoreceptors. Here is a sample of what that image looks like on the screen now. This is the... the, uh, the flicker that they send into an animal's eyes while they're measuring it, and you'll see it slowly increases in speed. Well, it turns out the rate for every animal is different, and the rule of thumb is the smaller the species, the quicker the vision. You and I see at about 60 flashes per second. A fly sees at about 250 flashes Per second, four times faster than you and me. In fact, the majority of flying insects, including vertebrates, have faster visions than humans, possibly because it's a mortality thing. Uh, they are quick to react and dodge obstacles. By the way, a quick note about having your dog watch TV. The refresh rate on a traditional TV is about 60 hertz, which is on par with the flicker fusion frequency of humans. However, dogs see at about 80 hertz, which means unless you have a high-quality TV, your favorite movie looks like a rapid-fire still image to your dog, just so you know if you sit there watching TV with your dog. Anyway, the fastest-seeing flies are blindingly quick, even relative to their own kind. There is a killer fly, predatory species, found in Europe, 
able to launch from a resting point into the air, circle several times around another fly in mid-flight, and catch it and bring its twitching body down to the ground in less than a second. This is weird. Now, why is the killer fly so much faster than a normal fly? Yes, the light-detecting cells in its eyes contain more mitochondria, the batteries of cells, than other flies. And so, it senses the motion even slower than a normal fly would. This is amazing. More, more info on this uh, incredible story is in our, uh, in our show notes, so check it out. And uh, read the whole article. It's from BigThink.com. And it's it's just another amazing article they put over there. I know. We're talking about flies. But it's weird. Weird stuff. I told you this was going to be a show full of weird stuff. And am I right? Huh? All right. Speaking of weird stuff. We have an app problem in this country, Apparently. Uh, from World of Buzz, links in our show notes. Check it out if you want to read the whole article. Most of them are useless, Malaysians say. They are shocked to discover that 93 government agencies have developed over 200 different apps. Yeah. When it comes to the money that you and I have uh, funded the government through taxes... We deserve to know what it's being used for and whether or not the government spending has brought about a positive result. Recently, it was revealed that a total of 93 government agencies have developed a total of 200 mobile apps for us to use, the public. A parliamentary question addressed by Klang uh, MP Wong Shu Shi uh, asked the prime minister to list down all the applications the government has developed and list them along with their agencies. Special Functions Minister responded that 200 applications had been developed as of last month, July of 2022. In response, uh, Abdul Latif said that as of July 2022, there were 200 mobile apps developed by 93 government agencies, one of which is uh, Jakim, in an effort to save the LGBTQ among Muslims who have taken uh, off the Google Play Store. Um, following the discovery, netizens are now outraged. There are many to begin, there's so many to begin with, especially since most of them really don't even function and apparently have proved to be pretty much useless. Um, these apps were designed for some people apparently to make a big profit, suggested one user. Another highlighted the questionable quality of the apps, not to mention the various websites that have been created by the various government agencies. And meanwhile, one user pointed out that having those 200 apps provides more ways for our private data to be hacked, leaked, and scammed. Bravo. So, there you go. Articles in the show notes tonight. If you have an opinion, you can share it with the world of Buzz over there and uh, check them out. Check out the article, too. It's quite cool. We've got several uh, World of Buzz articles in our, uh, our show tonight, including uh, this one. It kind of relates. It's more about the government and social media, and it's uh, mm, a little bit concerning. There's an allegation that the PDRM, and if you're not from Malaysia, you don't know what that is, that is the Police, police de Raja Malaysia, which basically means 
the Royal Malaysian Police Department. Uh, allegedly, allegedly reports hundreds of troll farm Facebook and Instagram accounts in order to apparently manipulate public discourse. They are running these troll farms. The police department. Social media can be a dangerous tool, especially since it's been proven to be able to manipulate and corrupt society, even disrupt general elections. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, said in a recent report it had identified and removed over 700 Malaysian-based accounts, pages, and groups across all of its social network platforms for violating the policy against coordinated inauthentic behavior. In its quarterly adversarial threat report, released August 4th, most of them, most of them were alleged to be part of a troll farm to corrupt or manipulate public discourse using fake accounts. Meta, again Facebook's parent company, claimed this network of fake accounts posted memes in Bahasa Malaysia, supporting the current government coalition, and attempting to paint its critics as corrupt as well as promoting the police. This from the report, it says, typically their posting activities accelerated during weekdays, taking breaks for lunch. The fake accounts were fairly underdeveloped, and some of them used stolen profile pictures. Some of them were detected and disabled by our automated systems. To date, it said it's removed 596 Facebook accounts, 180 pages, 11 groups, and 72 Instagram accounts, and that its investigation found that these accounts were linked to the Malaysian police force. Again, I have to use the word allegedly. Read the rest of this article. It is from World of Buzz, and it is fascinating. So the next time you see a meme or a post from someone out there that seems just a little too trolly, it could be. Not only could it be, it could be wearing a badge. <laughs> All right, one more, then we got to get onto our book here. It's Hungry Ghost Month. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Remember, we've talked about this before, how we have some beliefs here in Asia that uh, are very different from Western society. I've been here over 20 years now. I'm very used to these things. In fact, some of them I almost kind of believe now. No, not really. But <laughs> it is Hungry Ghost Festival. And there are a lot of beliefs related to Hungry Ghost Festival. And in case you didn't know them, or maybe you're from a Western country and you'd like to know more about them, uh, people believe these things. They, they take these things to heart as freaky as you might find them to be. There are people here and in other parts of Asia that absolutely follow these kind of rules and will not break them no matter what. Hungry Ghost Festival is here. These six life-saving tips might come in handy if you want to avoid unwanted circumstances. Don't keep wandering outside at night. Come home early. 
As the annual Hungry Ghost Month commences sometime last week, it started. Uh, Some people have started to take precautions in order not to encounter the good buddies, or in more direct terms, the spirits, or the ghosts. The elderly, especially, tend to be adamant when it comes to uh, pantang larang and taboos during Hungry Ghost Month. When the gates of hell apparently have opened, the ghosts are wandering around and they're hungry. Picture uh, the, the Walking Dead, but in Asia. I was going to say something else, but I didn't. And it's a good thing. Anyway, uh, often they remind their children to return home as early as possible because the spirits are believed to be wandering around after the sun sets, looking to taunt their victims, especially the ones who happily violate the taboos. Now, if you're not looking for trouble with the buddies from the spiritual realm, here's what you should know. Pool? Sea? Beach? Maybe not. According to AirAsia, water-related activities are best to avoid during the Hungry Ghost Festival, which usually lasts for two weeks. It's believed that vengeful spirits who met their demise in the water patiently wait there for their victims, who can be a replacement or a substitute to take their place. When a substitute has taken their place, it is then the time for the spirits who died in the water to reincarnate. And if you have plans to visit the pool or the beach, especially at night, you might want to reschedule those plans to avoid any unwanted consequences. Uh, I'm pretty safe. I have mostly white on tonight, but no red and no black during Hungry Ghost Month. Fashions that come in red and black, undeniably good to look at, but if you have plans to dress during this month, you might want to hold off for a bit. You may garner unwanted attention from the wandering spirits, as they are said to be especially attracted to these two colors, red and black. Also, spirits who died in red clothing are also believed to be the most ferocious spirits of all. Camera off. Living in an era where social media dominates a big part of everybody's life, rather common, understandable that some people, especially young people, are always ready with their handphones and their cameras and capture the bits of life. Uh, However, camera and photography enthusiasts, you might want to give your lens a rest during the night, especially. Uh, You might risk capturing something else be it indoors or outdoors. In worst-case scenarios, some spirits may be trapped inside the camera or the phone during the photography process. You remember Simulacra? Hmm? (laughs) I happen to be in that game, Simulacra, so... Uh, Simulacra 2, actually. And since our phones are mostly with us all the time, you can imagine you you don't want to have a spirit inside your phone all the time. Uh, Untie the knot. After years of dating each other, lovebirds will expectedly take their relationship to the next level and get married. However, scheduling your wedding during the Hungry Ghost Month ain't a good idea. Reschedule it. It's considered inauspicious for couples to be wed during this month. And here's one I didn't know. Whistling. 
Everyone whistles from time. Can you whistle? I can whistle. I've always been able to whistle. Some people can't. Anyway, if it's a habit of yours, you may want to put it away for a few weeks. Apparently, it's said to attract roaming ghosts. I just whistled now. I should keep an eye out here. Um, We suggest not to whistle after dark. Boredom kills, but nobody wants an encounter with a hungry ghost. And finally, front row seat. Uh, Makeshift stages and tents set up for the Chinese opera performances uh, held side by side with prayer offerings uh, to entertain the wandering ghosts and spirits. And uh, for that, the front rows are always available. We repeat, always available and reserved for the guests from another world. Do not sit in the front row of one of these. They're fascinating to go to. I've been to one before, and it's absolutely amazing. It's such a cool cultural thing. Uh, It's an amazing performance, some of these things. But the front row is for the special guests. Don't sit there. Anyway, there's a bunch more things you should avoid, and they're covered in the article here. You want to check it out. It's from the World of Buzz, and the link, once again, is in our show notes if you want to uh, check that out. Hungry Ghost Month. It's going on right now, so be safe. Sorry. It was another coffee break. I think drinking coffee's okay, although my mug is black. That's probably not a good thing. Uh, all right, you ready for some Sherlock Holmes? Why not? <laughs> we get all these books from the good folks at the Gutenberg Project at gutenberg.org, and you will find them there. They're all free. They're in the public domain. There's ebooks, HTML files, uh, text files. You can download them in all kinds of different formats. They're all free, and all the classics are there. They really have a amazing collection. We have been reading books here for a a very long time, almost from the start of our show, 248 shows ago or something. Uh, And right now we've been doing Sherlock Holmes. We read one uh, part of a chapter until we get to the next. And uh, each in Sherlock Holmes, each chapter is a different adventure. This is the case of the uh, missing thumb. And uh, where did we leave off here? Uh, The engineer just told his story about how he wound up missing his thumb. And uh, Holmes sat in his big armchair with the weary, heavy-lidded expression which veiled his keen and eager nature. And while I sat opposite to him, we listened in silence to the strange story which our visitor detailed to us. You must know, said he, that I am an orphan and a bachelor, residing alone in lodgings in London. Uh, By profession, I'm a hydraulic engineer. I have had considerable experience of my work during the seven years that I was apprenticed to Venner and Matheson, the well-known firm of Greenwich. Two years ago, having served my time and having also come into a fair sum of money through my poor father's death, I determined to start a business for myself and took professional chambers in Victoria Street. Now, I suppose that everyone finds his first independent start in business a dreary experience. To me, it has been exceptionally so. During two years that I've had three consultations and one small job, and that is absolutely all that my profession has brought me. My gross takings amount to 27 pounds, 10 shilling. 
Every day, from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon, I waited in my little den until my last, until at last my heart began to sink, and I became to believe that I should never have any practice at all. Yesterday, however, just as I was thinking of leaving the office, my clerk entered to say there was a gentleman waiting who wished to see me upon business. He brought up a card, too, with the name of Colonel Lysander Stark engraved upon it. Close at his heels came the colonel himself, a man rather over the middle size, but of an exceeding thinness. I don't think I have ever seen so thin a man. His whole face sharpened away into nose and chin, and the skin of his cheeks was drawn quite tense over his outstanding bones. Yet this emancipation seemed to be his normal habit, and due to no disease, for his eye was bright, his step brisk, and his bearing assured. He was plainly but neatly dressed, and his age, I should judge, would be nearly forty than thirty. Mr. Hatherley, said he, with something of a German accent, you have been recommended to me, Mr. Hatherley, as being a man who is not only proficient in his profession, but is also discreet and capable of preserving a secret. I bowed, feeling as flattered as any young man would at such an address. May I ask who it was who gave me so good a character? Well, perhaps it's better I should not tell you that just at this moment. I have it from the same source that you are both an orphan and a bachelor, and are residing alone in London. Well, that's quite correct, I answered, but will you excuse me if I say that I cannot see how all this bears on my professional qualifications? I understood it was a professional matter that you wished to speak to me. Undoubtedly so, but you will find that all I say is really to the point— I have a professional commission for you, but absolute secrecy is quite essential. Absolute secrecy, you understand? And of course we may expect that more from a man who is alone than from one who lives in the bosom of his family. If I promise to keep a secret, said I, you may absolutely depend upon my doing so. He looked at me very hard as I spoke. It seemed to me that I had never seen so suspicious and questioning an eye. "'Do you promise, then?' he said at last. "'Yes, I promise. Absolute and complete silence before, during, and after. No reference to the matter at all, either in word or in writing. You already have, I have already given you my word.' "'Very good.' He suddenly sprang up darted like lightning across the room. He flung open the door. The passage outside was empty. "'That's all right,' said he, coming back. "'I know that clerks are sometimes curious to their master's affairs. Now we can talk in safety.' He drew up his chair very close to mine and began to stare at me again with the same questioning and thoughtful look. A feeling of repulsion, and something akin to fear had begun to rise within me at the strange antics of this fleshless man. Even my dread of losing a client could not restrain me from showing my impatience. "'I beg that you will state your business, sir,' said I. "'My time is of value. Heaven forgive me for that last sentence, but the words came to my lips.' 
How would fifty guineas for a night's work suit you? He asked. Most admirably. I say a night's work, but an hour's would be nearer the mark. I simply want your opinion about a hydraulic stamping machine which has got out of gear. If you show us what's wrong, we shall soon set it right ourselves. What do you think of such a commission as that? Well, the work appears to be light and the pay magnificent. Precisely so. We shall want you to come tonight by the last train. Where to? To Eifert in Berkshire. It's a little place near the border of Oxfordshire and within seven miles of Reading. There's a train from Paddington which would bring you there about 11.15. Very good. I shall come down in a carriage to meet you. Is there a drive, then? Uh, yes, our little place is quite out in the country. It's a good seven miles from Eifert Station. Well, then we can hardly get there before midnight. I suppose there'd be no chance of a train back. I should be compelled to stop the night. Yes, we could easily give you a shakedown. This is very awkward. Uh, could I not come at some more convenient hour? We have judged it best that you should come late. It is a recompense for you of any convenience we're paying you. A young unknown man, a fee which would buy an opinion from the very heads of your profession. Still, of course, if you would like to draw out of the business, there is plenty of time to do so. I thought of the fifty guineas and how very useful it would be to me. Not at all, said I. I shall be very happy to accommodate myself to your wishes. I should like, however, to understand a little more clearly what it is you wish me to do. Quite so. It's a very natural that a pledge of secrecy which we've extracted from you should have aroused your curiosity. I have no wish to commit you to anything without your having it all laid before you. I suppose that we are absolutely safe from eavesdroppers? Entirely. Well, then this matter stands before us. You are probably aware that Fuller's Earth is a valuable product, and that it is only found in one or two places in England. I've heard so. Some little time ago, I bought a small place, a very small place, within ten miles of Reading. I was fortunate enough to discover that there was a deposit of Fuller's Earth in one of my fields. On examining it, however, I found this deposit was a comparatively small one, and it formed a link between two very much larger ones upon the left and right, both of them, however, on the grounds of my neighbor. Now, these good people were absolutely ignorant that their land contained that which was quite as valuable as a gold mine. Naturally, it was to my interest to buy their land before they discovered its true value. But unfortunately, I had no capital by which I could do this. I took a few of my friends in on the secret— However, they suggested we should quietly and secretly work our own little deposit, and that in this way we should earn the money which would enable us to buy the neighboring fields. This we've been doing now for some time, and in order to help us in our operations, we erected a hydraulic press. This press, as I've already explained, has gotten out of order. We wish your advice on the subject. We guard our secret very jealously. However, and if it once became known we'd had hydraulic engineers coming to our little house, it would soon rouse inquiry. And then, if the facts came out, it would be goodbye to any chance of getting these fields and carrying out our plans. 
That is why I've made you promise me that you will not tell a human being that you are going to Eifert tonight. I hope that I make it all plain. I quite follow you, said I. The only point which I could not quite understand was what you could make use of a hydraulic press for in excavating Fuller's earth, which, as I understand, is dug out like gravel from a pit. Ah, he said carelessly, we have our own process. We compress the earth into bricks so as to remove them without revealing what they are. But that's a mere detail. I've taken you fully into my confidence now, Mr. Hatherley. I have shown you how I trust you. He rose as he spoke. I shall expect you then at Eifert at 11.15. And I shall certainly be there. And not a word to a soul. He looked at me with a long, last questioning gaze. And then, pressing my hand in a cold, dank grasp, he hurried from the room. Well, when I came to think it all over in cold blood, I was very much astonished, as you may both think, at this sudden commission which had been entrusted to me. On the one hand, of course, I was glad for the fee. It was at least tenfold what I should have asked had I set a price upon my own services. It was possible that this order might lead to other ones. On the other hand, the face and manner of my patron had made an unpleasant impression on me. I could not think that his explanation of the Fuller's earth was sufficient to explain the necessity of my coming at midnight, and his extreme anxiety lest I should tell anyone of my errand. However, I threw all my fears to the wind, ate a hearty supper, and drove to Paddington, and started off, having obeyed to the letter of the injunction, as to holding my tongue. At Reading, I had to change not only my carriage, but my station. However, I was in time for the last train to Eifert. I reached the little dim-lit station after eleven o'clock. I was the only passenger who got out there, and there was no one upon the platform save a single sleepy porter with a lantern. As I passed out through the wicked gate, wicked gate, I found my acquaintance of the morning waiting in the shadow upon the other side. Without a word, he grasped my arm and hurried me into a carriage, the door of which was standing open. He drew up the windows on either side, tapped on the woodwork, and away we went as fast as the horse could go. One horse, injected Holmes. Yes, only one. Did you observe the color? Uh, yes, I saw it by the side lights when I was stepping into the carriage. It, it was a chestnut. Tired-looking or fresh? Oh, fresh and glossy. Uh, thank you. I, I'm sorry to have interrupted you. Pray, continue your most interesting statement. Well, away we went, and we drove for at least an hour. Colonel Lysander Stark had said that it was only seven miles, but I should think from the rate we seemed to go from the time that we took, it must have been nearer twelve. He sat at my side in silence all the time, and I was aware more than once when I glanced in his direction that he was looking at me with great intensity. The country roads seemed not very good in that part of the world, for we lurched and jolted terribly. I tried to look out the windows to see something of where we were, but 
They were made of frosted glass, and I could make out nothing save the occasional bright blur of a passing light. Now and then I hazarded some remark to break the monotony of the journey, but the colonel answered only in monosyllables, and the conversation soon flagged. At last, however, the bumping of the road was exchanged for the crisp smoothness of a gravel drive, and the carriage came to a stand. Colonel Lysander Stark sprang out as I followed behind him, pulled me swiftly onto a porch which gaped in front of us, and we stepped, as it were, right out of the carriage and into the hall, so that I failed to catch the most fleeting glance of the front of the house. The instant I'd crossed the threshold, the door slammed heavily behind us, and I heard faintly the rattle of the wheels as the carriage drove away. It was pitch dark inside the house, and the colonel fumbled about looking for matches and muttering under his breath. Suddenly, a door opened at the other end of the passage, and a long golden bar of light shot out in our direction. It grew broader, and a woman appeared with a lamp in her hand, which she held above her head, pushing her face forward and peering at us. I could see that she was pretty, and from the gloss with which the light shone upon her dark dress, I knew that it was a rich material. She spoke a few words in a foreign tongue, in a tone as though asking a question, and when my companion answered in a gruff monosyllable, she gave such a start the lamp nearly fell from her hand. Colonel Stark went up to her, whispered something in her ear, and then pushed her back into the room from whence she'd come. He walked towards me again with the lamp in his hand. "'Perhaps you'll have the kindness to wait in this room for a few minutes,' said he, throwing open another door. It was a quiet, little, plainly furnished room with a round table in the center, on which several German books were scattered. Colonel Stark laid down the lamp on top of the harmonium beside the door. "'I shall not keep you waiting an instant,' he said, and vanished.' into the darkness. I glanced upon the books at the table, and despite my ignorance of German, I could see that two of them were treatises on science, the other being volumes of poetry. Then I walked across to the window, hoping I might catch some glimpse of the countryside, but an oak shutter, heavily barred, was folded across it. It was a wonderful, silent house. It was an old clock ticking loudly, somewhere in the passage, but otherwise everything was deadly still. A vague feeling of uneasiness began to steal over me. Who were these German people? What were they doing living in this strange, out-of-the-way place? And where was this place? I was ten miles or so from Eiford. That was all I knew, but whether north, south, east, or west, I had no idea. For that matter, Reading and possibly larger towns were within that radius, so the place might not be so secluded after all. Yet, it was quite certain from the absolute stillness that we were in the country. I paced up and down the room, humming a tune under my breath to keep up my spirits, and feeling that I was thoroughly earning my fifty-guinea fee. That's where we'll end it for tonight. We'll find out what happens with the rest of this mystery coming up 
on our next live stream, which will be Wednesday night. Cool. All right, that's going to do it. We will uh, see you again on Wednesday. Thank you so much for all of our listeners in on our podcast. We are a podcast, audio-only part of the show. All the stuff we talk about, you'll find in the links down below in our show notes and description. And uh, check them all out. And thank you so much for liking and subscribing to our uh, live stream on Rumble, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Facebook Live. I will see you again on Wednesday night. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Oh,